Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Here's the pitch swung on. Fly ball out into left center. It's deep. It's up and gone. Left center on the catwalk. Right up above their bullpen. Doc got it up. Glanville got it up. Big time. Doug Glanville, not known as a home run hitter, but he is a guy who gets the bat on the ball consistently and hits it sharply in a ballpark like this that can pay off. Doug Glanville on the pinch hit. Runner goes. And a base hit on a hit run into left center. Conine, a diving attempt. It'll get by. Lofton racing around. He will score. On his way to third, Glanville, and he's in there with a run-scoring triple. Line drive right field coming high. Bautista oh. can't get it. and run with Matt Spiegel Sunday mornings on the score. Nice to have some highlights from an MLB career. Outstanding. Doug Glanville joining us right now on the Alpamonte Ford hotline. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. It's hit and run on 670 to score. Doug, was that Harry Callis? I wasn't sure if that's who that was on the call or do I have my eras confused? You got it, Matt. I mean, uh, wow. I mean, I just get chills listening to Harry uh, Callis. I was fortunate to play for two Harrys with Harry and Callis, legends, and uh, just to hear the call uh, was just as much excitement as hitting it. I'll tell you, that voice is, is just timeless. Right? I mean, that is, some people just sound like baseball and always and forever will, whether it's Jack Buck or, but you had Harry and Harry calling your seasons. Not so bad. I, I assume that the uh, the Paul Mall uh, was burning in the ashtray while he made that call. <laughs> I think I think that's what he smoked. Yeah, he had. Oh, and he come with his white suits and and he would sit in the back of the plane, which was unheard of for for media. But he had been kind of grandfathered in since the 70s, 80s. So he had a lot of um, you know passes because he was kind of one of the players and. Uh, it was a great honor to to listen to him, and he would call like fantasy drafts uh, just on his spare time. <laughs> you know, they were they were great. I always were, I still have a letter that Harry Carey gave me at the end of my rookie year, uh, just to compliment me on a good first season and stuff. So uh, they, wow. they they paint the pictures of the game, and uh, they're it's so important. 
Yeah, your your reverence for the game is obvious in in everything that you write and whenever you talk about it, and that's it's really it's infectious, Doug, and it's. And, and, and so what a, what a pleasure it was for you to get to play and now to get to talk about. And I heard that, that reverence coming through when you and Jason talked to Bob Costas the other day. It was a terrific episode of Starkville with Bob Costas on there. And, um, and, and talk, talk about some people who just kind of sound like the game. I guess Bob sounds like whatever sport he's doing. But um, what, what, what did you take away from that conversation? Because I had a couple things I wanted to run by you, but what did, what did you take away from it? Yeah, I mean, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, Bob Costas was, you know, the voice certainly in my childhood coming up. I mean, he worked 40 years in, in covering sports, and that's kind of around when my fandom, you know, really kicked into gear to, to present day. Uh, but I, I took a lot away. I know that he's always had a lot of different thoughts on the game, especially when it comes to these type of moments where not only we're dealing with unprecedented times, but we're looking at sort of the, the union versus you know, players association versus the ownership, figure out how to move forward. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of playoff systems do you have? Like how do you handle uh, safety and, and health and welfare and all these things? So he, we, we made him a commissioner for the day and just said, go. And uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of different ideas. And, and I'm sure baseball, as we know, are, is, they're, they're certainly taking their time weighing all these things currently. Yeah, after you and I are done, I'll play for the listeners that took a snippet of it, of Bob's postseason proposal that he said he had gotten from Jerry Reinsdorf. I'd never heard it anywhere, and it's, uh, it's, it's a really good one. It's really interesting. But let's, let, let, let's stick to the modern moment for a second. Doug, have you had a chance to look at the 67-page document, or at least the reports on the yeah. document, um, uh, on the safety protocols? It's daunting, isn't it? It's daunting. It is. Um, it, it's exhaustive. Uh, it is incredibly thorough. I hope it's possible. Um, what what were what were some of your takeaways from it? I mean, you hit it. Every adjective you just mentioned, right? It, it is. Right. Uh, it's comprehensive to say the least, and I mean, makes sense. That's what you need to do in addressing something that is still has so much uncertainty. So they're doing everything they can to protect and create comfort and to set new standards. The daunting aspect of it is, you know, look, you know, I'm a parent of, of four, and just homeschooling or going anywhere, you know, which is minimal, just trying to figure out how to keep a four-year-old from touching this. And, I mean, I'm trying to imagine that at a larger scale with teams and families. And, you know, literally they have down, the, if you use the bull fo- bullpen phone, you have to wipe it down right after. I mean, that's the detail. And who's going to, like, how are you going to get everybody to remember all these things, let alone, like, hit a curveball, right? And uh, I I just, I mean, it's amazing. And obviously, so many people in our society now are doing this who are essential from the medical profession to delivering groceries. So it's not that, you know, the the world is enduring this right now. But uh, when you're sort of non-essential on the entertainment side, it takes a different kind of color. Yeah, that's that's true. So we are non-essential. The game is non-essential. But at some point, non-essential life is going to have to resume and or as much of it as we can resume needs to resume. I'm I'm not convinced that 2021 is going to look vastly different. I, I guess it's possible. Um, but I'm, I, I mean, some of this might just be the way that life is lived in a post-virus world. And that while that is inherently pessimistic, I suppose, it does lead me to want to try. Well, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Just let alone, even if you're 
or, okay, this is clear, or, you know, some magic moment where it's gone. It's just the adjustments you have to make, not only from responding to how life has shifted in the fallout of it, which will have a ripple and domino effect, but it's also preparing going forward about changes in your life you're trying to make or society as a, as a whole about doing things differently, right? And, and you know, the economics of the game, and, and when we're talking about baseball, the certain protocols and all these ways that they're, we're going to see things live and live them differently. So that is absolutely true. And, and if you're not making these adjustments off of something this serious, then, then what are you doing? You have, to, you have to change something or you're susceptible to it all happening again and being grossly un, underprepared. So if you're a player, Doug Glanville, if you're a player and you see this as presented to the union on uh, on Friday night, do you do you then look at it as, all right, the owners are concerned about me and they are concerned about trying to do this the right way. So let's move forward and negotiate in good faith. Or do you do some of them look at it and say, this is horrifying and I can't imagine doing this, screw it. What, what, what is the reaction of a player when this hits your desk on Friday night? Yeah, well, I, I think you have both. You know, you, you, Blake Snell, you know, came out and focused a lot on the economics, and that's, you know, his priority as he expressed in safety. Um, but, you know, some have different circumstances. For example, if you are, we talked to Sean Doolittle on our show, and he mentioned like a family scenario. He said, one of my teammates just had a newborn and, you know, living with their grandparents. And all. You know, these will change, you know, completely how you'll see the safety and risk. And that is very personal. So even though as a players association, you're trying to have a unified front and bring everybody together and common ground, you're also looking at each player separately and say, well, his circumstance may dictate he's a rookie, he's 20, he hasn't, he's not married or whatever. He may see it differently. So that's the challenge of unifying such disparate and diverse different viewpoints into one space. I think many players will respect that, yes, the protocols were taken very seriously, but it's also going to be how are you really going to follow it? You have 50 players around. Everybody's different. Some people don't care. You you might have language translation issues, all kinds of questions. Who knows? I I can't imagine – it's possible that every single player is going to follow this to the T. It's just not going to happen. And then what are your fail-safes and responses when things do go awry? Because there's going to be setbacks. I mean, come on, there's going to be setbacks in every facet of our lives, that, and we're going to have to figure out how to adjust there, and baseball is going to be no different. Doug, do you, do you think that, that this is a moment where the sides economically and, and in a business sense should look at rejiggering the entire model? I, I know it's a lot to think about, but here we are, and a lot of industries are going to have to think about this stuff. The inequities between the haves and the have-nots have long made the game so problematic when it comes to bargaining. And the, the, the free market system as replicating capitalism can be – so, that, like, is this a moment to think about more openness, revenue well, sharing, and, and, a, uh, and a cap and a floor? Is it a moment to rethink the way that baseball does its business? Yes. Well, I'm going to steal a quote from the uh, Hartford Public Schools superintendent and uh, Leslie Torres Rodriguez, and she says, change happens at the speed of trust. And so one of the problems you have is, although innovation is a great opportunity right now, you have to believe in confidence with each other and work in good faith. And there is just still a lot of mistrust 
that exists between ownership and the Players Association. And, and you know on a public domain that will not be taken well if you end up not being able to move forward when you can because, you know, you're fighting over, you know, or negotiating over things in a very, without the good faith that you need, whether it's economics or whatever. So they have to get, you know, past that hurdle. And there's no doubt that that's where everything moves forward from, from that vantage point. So, so although the opportunities are, you know, seven inning games and, you know, whatever you have, you know, double headers, bringing back the days of double headers and bullpen carts or whatever you have, uh, you have to, you know, come together on these innovations. And the, when you don't have the trust, you're going to see every move as some economic opportunity to create advantage. That's, gonna, that's mm-hmm. where the trust will break things down. So you're going to go, oh, well, wait a minute, are you doing this? Because you're trying to not pay us, or you know, what, okay, you say you have four billion in losses, but what's really in that number? We, can we audit your books, you know, and so on. So that's where you you have these sticking points of innovation because you're not going to see it in this collective way. So they really have to get past those hurdles because I think it's a great opportunity here and a very exciting one about looking at the game not only economically but rules and just say, hey, here's a chance we could kind of rewrite some things and improve the game for the future. Yeah, it is an opportunity, but boy, that's uh, the speed of trust. It's, uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty slow speed historically between these two sides, uh, yep. unfortunately. Um, like, like so much of the country, I've been watching and obsessed with The Last Dance uh, on ESPN. It's been great fun. And that Jordan-esque chip on the shoulder that we basically name for him that it, you know inventing the slights or using actual slights using the motivation to get more out of himself you shared a story on that episode of starkville would you mind sharing with the listeners that one day of deeply personal motivation with which you went to the ballpark and went to the plate if you could share that yes oh well in terms of oh yeah for me personally yes, yes there's no, no doubt well you know jordan talked a lot about and you saw it in his world of how he could will himself right seemingly in these scenarios and basketball is so different than baseball you know, baseball we have you know these 162 games it's you know you're trying to pace yourself you're trying to so it's hard to be that jordan mindset every day and when i played against jordan that year I remember him telling our third baseman that he's like, man, I've never been this tired in my entire life after he played like a hundred straight games in a row. Uh, so that was a great nod to baseball that it, the mental wear down is, is so severe. It's not the physical demands quite the same. So uh, for me personally, I, I tried to parallel some moment where I felt Jordan-esque and hmm. the moment I could only come up with was the last game of the 2002 season. I had 998 hits and it was, you know, the end of the year, and we're definitely out of it. We're in Florida against the Marlins, and my dad had been sick for three years, and this is year three. So I knew from my last visit that this was kind of the beginning of the end. Uh, he had strokes. He had cancer. And I'd, you know, been driving up to ERs from, from up into Jersey from Philly, like, for, for years at that point. So he's gravely ill, and he's in a hospital in Jersey. And I have 998 hits, and there's one game left in the season, and Carl Pavano's on the mound. And, and there was a lot of battle, the three-game series, because I had 996, I think, going into that three-game series. And, and Larry Bow was my manager, and he wasn't playing me. And, and finally, the PR rep, Lee Tobin, said, look, you need to play him. He's, we're not going anywhere. This, this, he can get 1,000 hits this weekend. So he sat me the first day, and if there's divine intervention, Pat Burrell, 
in the second game gets hurt sliding at the home plate, and I have to go in for him, and I get two hits. So I have nine ninety eight now. Last game, Pavano's on the mound, and I woke up and I said, there's no way Carl Pavano is getting me out today. It's like, and I'd never you know, said that in such a deep belief and faith than ever in my career. I've had, I felt confident. I played well. I had good years. But I was like, there's no way this guy is getting me out. And, and so I got a hit in the first three at-bats. I was three for three, got my 1,000th hit. And uh, my dad passed away at 7.15 p.m. that night when the game ended, literally as I walked off the field. And uh, so I buried him with that baseball, 1,000th hit, and I put it in his casket. Uh, so that, that was a, that's Jordan on a day-to-day basis. So it's unfathomable, the, the drain and the energy it took. So I, his mind is, needs to be like in the Hall of Fame just on its own, his, his spirit of competition. Uh, but I, I just could not. It made me feel watching the last dance. I go, wow, I, I could, I could have been a lot better. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a good career, but I mean, that's that's what I come away. So I, I can only relate to that moment when I was facing life and death with my own family. That's how, how serious it was. Wow, that's that's a beautiful, amazing story, and it's it. It's amazing because there's this long-held belief that it's just not possible in baseball to have that chip and play that way because the harder you try, the harder the game can get. But but what you're saying is an argument that maybe it is possible, that you can focus a bit more and give yourself that kind of external motivation and, and rise. I mean, I, I know it's true in other aspects of our lives, so why shouldn't it be true in baseball? Yeah, I mean, and no question that there's. You look at the the great players, the Hall of Famers. They do find a way to balance uh, this need to be even keeled to a certain degree, and then be this hyper focused, laser confident person uh, to compete every day. And you know, I think when you play as long as you do, if, you know, I was fortunate to get you know, nine plus years, nine years in the. Um, you know, you have these ebbs and flows, you know, rookie year, and, and then it's like year five, and it's you're 30 games out of first place, and you know, you're like, okay, what's going on here? I mean, it, it's, it's a challenge, and, and baseball just has that, as Jimmy Pearsall used to say to me, he's like, this game will bring you to your knees, so you better be ready every day, because as soon as you start doing things half, as Tony Muser, our coach, used to say, you, all of a sudden you're kind of in the big leagues, you kind of, and you kind of your way right out of the game. So it takes that really tough balance, the high lows, to even it out, but yet be so focused. So um, I, I think I had years, like, you know, certainly in 99, I had that kind of year, and, and the numbers reflected it. But wow, to do it every year, year in, as you're getting older, really mind-blowing what Jordan was able to do. Doug Glanville hit 325 in 1999, an on-base percentage of 376 with 34 stolen bases and one of four years in a row with over 600 at-bats. So the man the man played an awful lot. I saw somebody giving you crap on Twitter the other day for your, medi- your mediocre Cub career, and you're like, hitting 300 wasn't bad. And I, <laughs> it was a solid clapback, a well-executed clapback, sir. Um, it, it t- tell people about pickup basketball with Michael Jordan in 1994. I had no idea that Lyle Mouton could ball, by the way. I had no idea. But Lyle yep. played college ball, and he was one of your teammates in that game, right? Yes, he did, uh, LSU. And, and Curtis Pride was another teammate who, who played, uh, I think it was, what was it, Mil- St. Mary's, William & Mary? I'm not sure of the exact, but he was a, a point guard. So 
Uh, yes. So Jordan, when he played, so keep in mind, I played against him all of 94, right? So all through the Southern League. I was in Orlando. He's in Birmingham. And I, I met him a couple times. And, you know, that was, that was obviously amazing. But he worked before the game and after the game. So season ends. He goes to the Arizona Fall League, and I go to the Arizona Fall League, and Terry Francona is his manager, uh, both places. So he, they start playing pickup basketball games, like more of like one-on-one, three-on-three, and then it spirals to the whole league hears about it, and we get invited to come. And so we put a team together, five of us, and we go to this Scottsdale Community College, and Jordan's there. It's surreal seeing him on the court, and I have video to prove this, by the way. <laughs> so, he, um, so he's out there, and crazy enough, we keep feeding Mouton, posting up, and somehow we actually win this five-on-five five versus Michael Jordan. Right? So, so I, I don't even tell this story because I keep thinking Jordan is so competitive, he literally might pull up in my driveway and challenge me to one-on-one to settle this. All right? So I, I kind of like whisper this story, but we actually win this game. And I think Francona took the final shot and missed, and, and Jordan was trying to pass. He was trying to be unselfish. And – I mean, so look, I'm sure if he was playing, you know, for the NBA championship, he would have destroyed us, and you know, I'm sure. But we actually did end up with one more, you know, basket than they did. So, uh, and he was upset. He kicked the ball into the rafters after the game, and all this. But um, so I can go down and and actually tell that true story. Uh, I I still don't really. I pinch myself trying to figure it out, but. Uh, the video is there. Oh, <laughs> tremendous. You got him. You got him. Um, yeah, and, and, and he would trash talk. He'd, if you were wearing Reeboks, he'd say, oh, I'm coming at you, like one-on-one. <laughs> uh, he'd look at you and say, "This, what I'm about to do to you right now, you're going to tell your grandkids. I mean, he was hilarious. And um, But, wow, that was unbelievable. But he, I, I got dunked on intentionally at one point. You know, I'm, I'm still, I was pretty fast, so I can run with anybody. And he had a little bit of a breakaway. I actually ran him down um, at half court. He, I took off. And then I knew somewhere in there he was about to you know, take flight. So I said, you know what, I'm going to still try to block this shot just to see what happens. So he, he basically takes off at the free throw line. I jump. And he was literally sitting on my head when he, when he slammed the ball. And, I, and I, you know, I could play a little bit above the rim. So that, that was just like that's why he shot those line drive shots. Because he, when he jumped, even his jump shots, he was shooting downhill. That's how high he got. And yeah. to see it on the court, was it was like watching SpaceX or something. It just like made no sense on how high this guy got up. It was just mind-blowing. Wow, what a tremendous experience to, to catalog away. And I got to say, I love thinking about Curtis Pride. I always rooted for him. Um, born deaf. And, and I just looked him up. I didn't realize he's the, he's the baseball coach at Gallaudet. How perfect is that? Right, I, yeah. I, I, I I did not know that. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, he was a great player. He could play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he sure could. Um, all right, last thing, Doug. You and I were talking. What what is your? We've talked about the spinners before. Lots of Hall and Oates. Um, why Sam Cook? What is hitting you hard about Sam Cook right now? I, the, his story is fascinating. Eventually, so dark as as a lot of people know, but yeah. you know, a gospel singer in the '50s moved to Chicago, went to Phillips Academy, same as Nat King Cole, not far from where I'm sitting right now, as a matter of fact. But what what what's hitting you about Sam Cook right now? Man, you know, Sam Cook. I'm not even sure when I first you know heard him, but I, I just connected. You know, just the music, the harmonies, he's just sort of catchy. 
And I've, you know, I learned a little bit more about his story because there was a book out years ago called You Send Me. Mm-hmm. And then there's a documentary on Netflix. So I watched that fairly recently. And I think one real strange, surreal connection was the, the where he, I, I want to say the Hotel Figaro or I can't remember where he got shot, but it, I know the address was somewhere in like uh, California, L.A. proper. Yep. And I was driving, I, and I, we were going to a game playing against the Dodgers of the Phillies. And, and as I was reading the part about where he got shot, I was literally in that neighborhood as I as we turned on the bus. <laughs> so, mm. so I was like, "Whoa, this is deep." So I learned a lot more about him. And uh, but but I think the compelling story from the Netflix story is just how he was really the socially conscious vocalist that had this beautiful ability to sort of span many different. Uh, diverse people, right? But yet he had this activist side to him that mm-hmm. was very driven by trying to create equity for the black community, and 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 so you could see, you know, he was almost he was on the cusp of of really becoming this sort of transformational figure. I mean, he was already number two to Elvis in sales. I mean, he was still already big time. But you think of you know people cut short, whether it's like Aaliyah or these these sort of great talented singers that you go gosh like what what could have been and yes. Kurt Cobain and so on so I um I just found it to be such a connecting story because he he was great I mean and, and he was you know talking to Ali and he just found uh, but he had a deep conscience but also understood the business side so um you know cut down very short very early in life and tragically so I and I, his music is just it's so powerful. Like change's gonna come and all. I mean these mm-hmm. these songs are just like hit you in the soul. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Just a fascinating guy and 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 considered by a lot of people to be like the father of soul music. Just the the beginnings of it, but bringing the church to the secular. And he added the E at the end of his name to signify the beginning of a new life. I, lo- I love that. When, when he realized he was going to go go secular. Well, we'll go out with a little. This is Bring It On Home To Me, um, which might be my favorite. Um, you know who's singing with him on this, the low harmony? I didn't know it for a long time, and when I learned it, I can never unhear it. Here, turn it up for a second, Sean. Yeah. If you ever change your mind about leaving, leaving me behind, You know who's singing that harmony with him? Oh, wow. Ray Charles, who's singing with him? It's a good guess. His his childhood friend, Lou Rawls. Lou That's Rawls. Lou Rawls. Wow. You'll never find. You'll right? never find. Yes. Yeah. Man. That's, I mean. From a rival, a rival gospel band, Lou Rawls. And Sam said, come on over here. Come on, sing this with me. Yeah, and, and he, and he did, did a that. track with Muhammad Ali. I mean, this guy... You know, he really got it, and just like to connect people, and but just, yeah, it's just tragic. And what a voice! What a voice! Like, like Marvin Gaye, it was, it was almost an instrument. So, I encourage yep. everybody to check out his his greatest hits. I mean, there's so many songs that when you listen to you go, oh yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, there's that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. <laughs> exactly. Doug, a pleasure. I can talk to you all day. Thank you for the time. Um, stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, let's hope we get some baseball soon. Yeah, Matt. Always a pleasure. Take care. All right. Thank you. You too. That's Doug Glanville right there on 670 The Score.
Um, all righty. Top of the hour, Kendall Gill on The Last Dance and more. I promised it to you. When we come back, we'll talk about that. And you'll hear from Bob Costas, a postseason scenario, a postseason plan that he says he got from Jerry Reinsdorf that I'd never heard before that I absolutely love. That's coming up next on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The sixth inning is brought to you by Meyer. When we support the home team, we all win. A little shout out to Matt Spiegel. With Toto Rosano, one of his favorites. forgot that that happened. <laughs> I forgot that Casper did me dirty like that. Led Casper calling me out during a game. When was that? Was that last year, Sean? I don't remember. Yeah, 2019. I think it was like in, in oh. May or something during a Dodgers series. <laughs> but every time I think of that song, I think of... <laughs> Len doing that to you, and then when Nancy uh-huh. Faust was playing Rosanna on her organ at her house, um, I immediately thought of you. Oh, that's tremendous. This is Nancy Faust playing Rosanna. She's been tweeting herself uh, playing some stuff, and it always sounds great. Um, she's got the home organ, which sounds like a ballpark organ. It's fabulous. Um, but Casper knows that I'm, I'm just, I'm not a big Toto fan. I'm, I'm I'm deeply not a big Toto fan, and he uh, he wants to do Rosanna one of these years. I'm sure we're going to end up doing it at the Hot Stove Cool Music um, event, Theo Epstein's charity event, which we get to play and at the Metro every year. My God, I hope the Metro survives. I hope Hot Stove Cool Music comes back. I don't think it'll be happening this year in June. I know they had to cancel the one in Boston. It's a tremendous event, but uh, you know we'll always we'll always have Casper giving me crap on a Cubs broadcast about Toto. This segment on the score is brought to you by DuckDuckGo Privacy. Fed up with companies selling your data? DuckDuckGo is on it. They help millions of people like you take back their privacy online. With one download, you can search and browse privately, avoiding trackers all for free. DuckDuckGo Privacy Simplified. Kendall Gill at the top of the hour right here on The Score to talk Last Dance and Michael and more. Um, But before that, I mentioned that Bob Costas was on Starkville with our last guest, Doug Glanville, and with Jason Stark. And they brought up to him the plan for the postseason that Joel Sherman of the New York Post 
had first leaked. And by the way, if, if you're just joining us, we've talked plenty about the protocol document, the 67-page protocol document that MLB has. It's certainly big, big news. We've talked about a lot and did so a lot of the first hour. But I wanted to share this with you because this is a little more fun to think about. And we all could use a little fun, don't you think? I do think so. Thank you, Speaks. So anyway, the plan as currently constructed that we'll probably get this year if they do play and give us a postseason is for 14 playoff teams, seven in each league, three division winners and four wildcard teams. So here's what would happen. The best of the division winners gets a bye. The other two division winners and the best wildcard team would host three different best of three series against those bottom three wildcard teams. All of those games would be hosted by the home team as a bit of an incentive. And you would emerge with three winners and then the best division winner who's had a bye, who's had a complete bye for three days or four days. Then the next round, the LDS is two best of five games, two best of five series. And then the LCS is one best of seven. So that's a total of 26 games possible in each league. That is the kind of expanded inventory that baseball is looking for in getting more teams, more games, more postseason product. There's a lot of money to be made there. I get it. Listen to the Costas plan, as he said he heard first from Jerry Reinsdorf. I had never heard it before, and I like it a hell of a lot better. This is Bob Costas from Starkville. There is a much, much better answer to this question. And I think that Jerry Reinsdorf gets credit for this, or at least I heard it via Jerry Reinsdorf. Baseball wants to expand the postseason, both because it will give even more teams and their fan bases a reason to be interested in the regular season, and because they want more postseason inventory for television. But at the same time, baseball's got to recognize that it has a tradition of a long regular season. And that regular season not only has competitive meaning, it has drama, too. The three division winners sit and wait, but not for long. You do have four wild cards. They pair off. If you want to let the best wild card pick which team it wants to play, fine. But let's say for the purposes of this discussion, one plays four and two plays three on the home field of the higher seeded wild card. Now you have two winners. Those two winners play on the home field of a higher-seeded team. These are one-game knockouts. They're not two out of three. So in very short order, you've eliminated those three teams. The wild card that emerges has to have won two games. They have to have gone 2-0. and oh. Now you've given television what it loves, elimination games, because every game is an elimination game. So you've given them that inventory. You haven't penalized the division winners. In fact, you've actually increased the importance of the regular season because the, the wild card round is now much more difficult than just one game. All the more reason to want to avoid that wild card round. And now you've made it appropriately even more difficult for the wild card team to go all the way. They have to win two games against two different teams. They have to go 2-0. and they have to use their pitching staff through two games. And now that wild card survivor plays the division winner with the best record. But make the division series, if you want more postseason inventory, make the division series best out of seven instead of best out of five. So now there's more postseason inventory. 
for the networks. They're best of seven instead of best of five. And when the wild card plays the division winner with the best record, it's not 2-3-2. Two, two, it's 2-2-3. Two, two, so you're further disadvantaging the wild card and further advantaging the team that had the best record in the league. Meanwhile, the second and third best division winners play a standard best out of seven. And if the wild card advances to the LCS, then it's on equal footing. Um, it's a 2-3-2 two, two situation at that point. So I love that. Dial it up and let's talk about it as I'm going to give you my thoughts on it. 312-644-6767, or you can text me at 67011. I think that is so much better than what has been proposed. So you get four wildcard teams just like they want, but those four teams pair up for two coin flip games. Then those two winners play another coin flip game, and we get the excitement of those games. Meanwhile, the three division winners get those three days to rest, right? They deserve it. Congratulations. You get to recharge. The one wildcard team that emerges from there has just played two games and is at an inherent disadvantage. And then they play the best division winner with, as you heard there, the 2-2-3 setup instead of the 2-3-2. So they only get two home games in a best of seven further disadvantaging, disadvantageizing, I don't know, the wildcard winner and giving a better advantage to the best division winner. And then, yeah, go ahead and expand the best of fives to best of sevens for the LDS. So I did the math. The, the plan that's out there now would have three different best of threes. That's a possibility for nine games, two best of fives, possibility for 10, and then one best of sevens. So that's seven. So that's 26 games possible. The Kostis-Reinsdorf plan, the Reinsdis plan, Kostdorf, yeah, Reinsdis. The Kostis-Reinsdorf plan would have the two coin flip games, then another, so that's three, then two best of sevens, that's 14, and then another best of seven, so that's a total of 24 games possible. That's only two less than what would be possible in the other plan. And it's better. I like it a lot. The one gamer keeps that excitement, which TV loves. And I love it. Look, I've given in to the idea that as much as the wild card game, the coin flip game feels inequitable in terms of deciding who moves on to the playoffs, it brings a level of excitement that is great for the sport. And this would bring that, you'd have three of those games in every postseason. And they are among teams that, that, They battled through the longest, most grueling regular season in baseball. Good for them. They made it. Good for them. But you don't deserve an easy road. You deserve a hard road. So I I like this plan a lot. I think it keeps the integrity of the regular season and still gives you an expanded um, volume of games and some of the excitement that the coin flips provide. What negatives do you see in this plan? I think the only negative that I would see is that you might disadvantage the wild card winner too much because we look at Minnesota and the you know every time they play the Yankees in the playoffs, they absolutely get smoked. I just don't know if it would make for a competitive uh, first matchup between the wild card and then the division winner they end up playing. Tough win your division. So what? I mean, or or rise up and get it done. Win two games on the road, not just one. I, you know, 
I, I like when wildcard teams get in. Uh, it's fun when they make kind of a historic run. We just saw it. The Nationals, the Nationals were a wildcard team, right? And 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 they won their one game wildcard. It was like, oh my God, we won something. It was the first time they ever won anything, and that unleashed some relaxation. And they went on a crazy run, and they they got it done. You you better. That's what you got to do. Look, when Eli Manning and the Giants won three games on the road as a wild card playoff team to get to the Super Bowl. Well done. You know, it, it it makes it more inarguable to me when you overcome the odds that you deserve. I want to see them forced to battle like that. So I I, I see what you say as a negative, Sean, and I poo-poo it. I throw it to the side and tell you it's a positive. I think Sir. overall, it's a fantastic proposal from Bob Costas and Jerry Reinsdorf, the Costas-Reinsdorf initiative. Um, yes. I think it's great. And, and, and you're right. I mean, just imagine what this place would be like. Chicago would be like if last year the Cubs make it in as the third wildcard team of four. They beat Arizona in the first round. Then they beat the Mets in the second round. And then they get to play St. Louis or the, the Dodgers in round one. And then they end up beating the Dodgers. I mean, this, this city would be going insane. So I think it does provide for great drama. It's just that drama how often will that happen? That would be my only worry. Yeah, no, I understand. If the White Sox are a wild card team and the Twins win the division, then the White Sox would have to play the Indians because two of your four wild cards out of the, in the American League are definitely coming from that division. So White Sox and Indians play a one-gamer. And, you know, Giolito would have to outpitch Shane Bieber in that one-gamer. And then Dylan Cease would, let's say they play Oakland, Dylan Cease would have to beat Mike Fires in another one-gamer. And then you've used those two guys, and those two guys can't pitch for you in games one or two. So you get them back for games three and four at home. You're only two home games when you're battling the Yankees in your uh, the best division winner. You are, you're battling the Yankees, White Sox, Yankees in the playoffs. Doesn't this sound nice, by the way? This stuff, this baseball this actual baseball conversation, even if it's, you know, we're talking about things that might happen or could happen. We're still talking about the game. We're not talking about money. We haven't mentioned money or, or COVID-19 in almost four minutes. That's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I dig it. I I dig it. And I, I, I hope they listen. I'd be all down. I'd be down for commissioner Costas. Sure. He doesn't want the job. I'd be down for Commissioner Glanville. Have, have you seen this proposal out there? Commissioner Glanville. Someone texted that earlier and tweeted at me as well, unless it was a different person. But would Doug Glanville take the commissioner's job? He wouldn't be offered it. He would not be offered it. Because you know what the commissioner is? Let's all say it together. He's just a pawn for the owners. Right? What I saw somebody write it as their steward. I think it was Ken Davidoff today wrote that Rob Manfred has presented an honorable proposal here as the steward of the owners. Oh, steward is a nice way of saying pawn or the stooge or, or the like. Oh, God. I miss you, Faye Vincent. I miss you, Bart Giamatti. Texters at 67011. We need to get those division series to a seven-game series. I hate the first round being five-game series. I absolutely agree. So this is a, this is a way to do that. Instead of just adding teams and adding best of threes, 
You want to add teams? Okay. Add, add a couple of coin flips and then make those division series seven gamers. I don't like the five gamer either. This text, I very much like the two, two, three as the series format. Let's make that the standard format for all sports across the board. Two, two, three. Right now it's two, three, two. Although, isn't it in hockey and basketball, isn't it two, two, one, one, one? Right, Sean? So increased increased travel. But yeah, game the pivotal game five is usually at home for hockey and basketball. Ah, boy. I don't know if that'll be the case in the future. When sports does come back, you could be looking at longer series, less travel, and some of that might be good. Some of that might be good. Yeah, so NBA, it's 2-2-1-1-1. Yeah. And, um, and, and un- understandably, because those series, man, a, a series can turn so big, and the home team deserves that game five. They deserve that pivotal game five. Um, and for, for baseball, you know, if you're not going to have that kind of travel, I think I, I like two, two, three. You, if you earn home field, you really deserve it. As long as it's not decided by, I don't know, whichever league wins the all-star game. Thank you very much. Good night, everybody. It is 670 The Score. It is Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel. One more hour to go. I'm looking forward very much to talking to Chris Kampka at C. Kampka on the Twitters, the Sultan of Stat for NBC Sports Chicago. We'll talk to him at 1240. Very much looking for that. I think he's going to continue the musical bent that this show has had with Greg Cott and Funkadelic and Doug Glanville and Sam Cooke and Toto all uh, all playing a role here today. Um, After us at noon, it is (laughs) December 9th, 2018. It is the Bears and the Rams. You can play Nancy Faust. It's the Bears and the Rams, a 15-6 win for the Bears. Great performance by the Bears defense on a Sunday night. Jeff Joniak will offer some thoughts before the game, after the Bears game, as we complete our Bears Sundays. It'll be Mark Grody until 5 p.m. And after Grody, it's Cubs versus Reds from 2016. Javier Baez, Grand Slam in the 15th inning. Spoiler alert, that's the game coming up tonight at 5 p.m. on The Score. We'll come back and talk to Kendall Gill next on Hit and Run on The Score. If I get the Rona... T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.